You know, in the Bible, it talks a lot about kings and princes and monarchies and all of that stuff. And, you know, I, that's just kind of lost on me a little bit. And maybe it is you too. I don't, we don't have a lot of references for that, right? I mean, we broke out of that system like 250 years ago, you know. Our nation was founded on not, you know, somebody who was born has a birthright into being, you know, in charge of people, but the people get to pick who leads the show. And so we don't have a whole lot of an idea of, of someone being a king, a queen, a prince, a princess, whatever. We don't... Um, have a category for appreciating that in our brains, and we definitely don't have a category for looking up to people in that position, you know? Like, we just kind of, like, don't respect authority figures. I mean, that's kind of a thing that's kind of built in, I think, to our culture anymore. Um, I don't know if that's been there since the beginning, since we were, like, rebels, you know? We were like, get out of here, kings. We want to do our own thing. Or if that's kind of coming out of the, you know, 60s and 70s of that rebellion of, you know, getting away from the man and all of that. Um, But we just don't, like, have that category for respecting this sort of authority. Um, The closest thing to me, um, as far as a monarchy that I can understand, is the British monarchy. Uh, my whole life has been a constant series of news stories, weirdly enough, about these people who don't have anything to do with my life. I think that's so weird. My whole life, I'm about the same age as Prince William, and, and uh, I'm a little older than Harry, right? And so my whole life, is I've just been watching them kind of grow up with me. They've always been, I've always seen news stories about them on newspapers, on TV, and websites, all of that stuff. Um, and again, I don't know why. I'm hearing about them because they don't oversee anything in my life. And um, what's really even more interesting is they don't really have any power where they live. Like, they don't have really any authority anymore um, as royalty, even in the British Empire, if you will. Um, They um, will never have power and authority. Now, I'm sure uh, William's going to be king a lot younger than his dad got to be king. Um, But the powers of the monarchy are mostly gone. They're just for show. They don't make laws. They can't just walk up to people on the street and start bossing them around and have people go, oh, yeah, you're you're in charge. Let's do it. Um, They mainly just make nice for the cameras, put on a good public appearance, and try not to embarrass the family, which over the years, what's weird is if you kind of just my experience watching certain members of the royal family is some of them have a really hard time not embarrassing their family. I really enjoy that. Um, and yet, even though they, they have this title and they have no real authority, they're constantly in the news. Um, uh, people know who they are. Their faces are recognized the world over. Um, Again, I know all about their lives, and I've never once thought, I wonder what Prince Harry's doing today. I've never had to go looking for it. It's always just kind of found its way to me. Um, they've been in news stories their whole lives. Um, the only thing I really know about these guys is that their life is nothing like ours. Do you think they've ever plunged a toilet? No. you think they've ever had to argue with an insurance company? Do you think they've ever woken up with the flu and still had to, like, trudge on and help get their kids ready for school? No, they don't do that stuff. They got people that are like, oh, yep, after a beck and call, who show up and do whatever they need them to do, who clean up all the messes. They got servants for all that stuff. And so even though they are royalty and have all this power, or have no power almost and no authority, they still get treated like royalty. 
They live royal lives. Everywhere they go, people are trying to get their picture, trying to fawn all over them, treating them like royalty, acting as if they're this crazy, huge, big deal. So even though they have no powers left, they still live very royal, very elevated, very privileged lives. Now imagine the privilege that should be given to somebody who lived in a real kingdom where the kings and queens, a real monarchy, where the monarchs actually had the power and the ruling authority to make those decisions. Imagine how special they would be treated if people were like, oh, if I don't treat the king well, I'm going to be in trouble. If I don't do what the king says, I'm going to be in trouble. Imagine how much like, honor and authority or honor and awe and attention the people would give that kind of a person. And again, we don't have a category for what that would be like in our lives. It's a relic of the ancient world. But one that um, one thing still seems to be clear is royal people get elevated lifestyles. But when you look in the story of the Bible, you see a lot of that. Kings and you know they live in palaces and they've got riches and all of that until Jesus shows up, and then he kind of says, uh, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand. He says many times to really imply that he's the king over that kingdom, and he's this coming royal figure, but yet he never seems interested in a royal lifestyle. In fact, he almost always tries to avoid it. It's really weird how he goes out of his way to almost avoid being taken uh, or treated as royalty. And so today we're going to look at the very, very start of Jesus' ministry, like the beginning moments of his ministry on earth, Um, and we're going to look at these stories where he kind of tries to launch the kingdom of God on earth into action. Um, This year, I kind of mentioned it earlier, but we are working our way through the book of Matthew so that we can follow and pay attention to the life of Jesus. We're kind of walking behind Jesus in his footsteps, trying to learn how he lived so that we can love as he loved and serve as he served, and be the kind of disciples and followers of Jesus that we need to be. And so we are currently in a story that, again, marks the very beginning moments of his ministry on earth. And the events that take place in this story um, are at the very beginning of his ministry because they set the stage for the rest of everything that follows. They kind of set the tone for who he's going to be and what he's going to do. Um, And we're going to be in the second half of Matthew chapter 3. If you want to grab a Bible, that's where we'll be. The second half of Matthew chapter 3 and the very first part of Matthew chapter 4. Now, we're looking at two stories. They could very easily be their own sermons. Um, That's how a lot of this journey through Matthew is going to be. Even though we're taking a whole year to do it, it's really kind of going super fast um, in terms of what all there is when you're trying to look at the life of Jesus. Now, again, fun fact, um, we've looked at baby Jesus, we've looked at John the baptizer, but we have not yet arrived at adult Jesus. He's finally on the scene today. He speaks. If you have a red-letter Bible, we finally get to the red letters of Jesus speaking into this story, and so we finally get to some really good action. Um, And so um, it's a very exciting day in our journey through Matthew. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 3. We'll start in verse 13. So it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee. That's the northern part of Israel. Galilee was in the north. Judea was in the south. Samaria was in the middle. And he came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. 
Then he consented. So John said, okay, fine. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw that the Spirit of God descended, or he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my son, with whom I am well pleased. It's when we get to stories like this and there's like God audibly speaking from heaven that I wish I had a nice, deep, like James Earl Jones-esque voice. Because um, I'll never be able to have that like impressive, like goosebump feeling, ooh, this sounds like God. There was a guy in my church growing up, and this has nothing to do with the sermon, but in my home church, um, he would do like a communion thought like once a month, and he had this deep tone to his voice, and it, it was just like, ooh, like he'd read scripture, and you're like, oh yeah, it's like God's talking to me. I don't have that. Um, so where we left off last week, was with John baptizing people in the Jordan, and dozens and dozens of people are flocking to him to be baptized by him, and they are repenting of their sins. He's got this very, like, kind of what we would assume, uh, what we would say is a dark message, like, repent, you know, the kingdom of God is at hand. You know, that's the kind of stuff we associate with street preachers holding a cardboard sign and maybe a bullhorn, and we're like, get out of here, we don't want to hear this nonsense. But these people were so excited to hear this, um, because it had been a long time since God had spoken to their people. And so people were flocking to John and believing, like, something is about to happen, and in order to prepare prepare for that something, we need to turn from our sin, repent of our old ways, and we need to make sure our lives are right with God. And then Jesus shows up, and he comes down to the Jordan to be baptized by John like so many people. Now, if you're a Christian and you've read this story before, you almost have to, like, reset your brain when you start reading this, okay? Okay. Because in my mind, anytime I picture Jesus, I got 12 guys following along beside him in my brain. This is before that. He has not called his disciples. He has not started preaching yet. This is just Jesus all by his lonesome, as far as the story tells us, walking up to John. Very quiet, very inconspicuous moment. And so Jesus is by himself, and this is the starting point of his ministry. It's the opening moments of launching the kingdom of God on earth. And the way he chooses to launch is by baptizing, getting baptized by John, along with all the other sinners that were standing in line to be baptized by him. And even John thought it was weird, okay? Um, But right as Jesus comes up out of the water, we get this giant trinity moment where the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are all together in this one moment. And the Father um, speaks, and the the Spirit descends, and it's a way um, to show Jesus that he is who he says he is. He is the Son of God. He is God in flesh. It's this kind of like affirming moment, like you are my Son, and you're doing the right thing. Now, what's really weird is we don't get any indication that anybody else sees these things or hears the voice. Um, we, we do, um, in the book of John, the Gospel of John, written by the disciple John, it tells us that John the baptizer, different John, very confusing, that John the baptizer did see the Spirit, but we have no hint that he heard the voice of the Father speaking or anything like that. So um, for the most part, this is just a moment for Jesus. And it tells Jesus, this is the Father saying, you're my son. You're, you're my son. And you are the ultimate prince to sit on the throne of the kingdom. The ultimate king that will be ever king. And he is more than royalty as a king. 
He is more holy, more righteous, more authoritative than any other human being on the planet. And that Jesus doesn't just have authority over people. Okay, that's what normal kings have authority over, the people in their kingdom. But he has authority over nature. We'll go on to see stories where he calms storms, where he speaks a tree to death. Like, I've, had, I've been in conversations where the person talking to me was so boring I felt like I was going to die, but I've never met anybody that like, could walk up to any, like a tree or something and be like, you're dead, and it dies. Like That's a powerful thing, right? And so he has power, authority over people, over nature. He has authority over invisible spiritual beings. He'll command angels and demons, and they will all obey him. He is the highest king that could ever exist, this ultimate king. Which brings us to the big question, if Jesus is this son of God, the ultimate king, God in a human body, why is he getting baptized? Like that, why is he getting baptized? Like, again, John's baptism was for the repent. You've been living the wrong way. You've been doing the wrong things. Turn from your sin and get right with God. Well, Jesus is God. He's right with God. He, the, the father even says, I'm well pleased with my son. There's nothing he has to do to repent of. There's no sin in his life to repent of. And, and again, John was like, this isn't right. I'm baptizing sinners. You're not one. I actually need you to dunk me. And um, it just seems so backwards. And so we have um, every other person, though, that's coming to John. They needed to be baptized. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, we've been baptized. We needed to be baptized. We have sin in our life that we need to repent of. Right now, we all have probably have sin in our life that we need to repent of. It's a universal human thing. We all have these horrible uh, tendencies to do things and say things that are selfish and hurtful and crude and rude and all of that. Um, we neglect the interests of others sometimes to do what we want. You know, I'm not going to take time to stop and help that person who's homeless because I got places to be, I got things to do. Um, we keep more than we need oftentimes, and don't help those that need it. Um, we control sometimes. We, we use passive-aggressive comments to try to manipulate people. We lie, we cheat, we steal. These are all very human things that everybody's guilty of some of them. Some people are guilty of all of them, and we need to repent. It is a universal human need. Everybody needs to repent, except Jesus didn't. He didn't have anything to repent of. He lived a life more pure than any of us have ever dreamed of. He didn't fall into the same traps that we do. In fact, he came to show us a better way to live. So he didn't need to repent. So why did he get baptized? That means it's something totally different. Well, he came to launch a kingdom, as we've already said. And one of the reasons he got baptized was to show us that this isn't any kind of kingdom like you've ever thought of or seen before. Everything else in the world is built on power, money, might makes right, all of that stuff, where the strong have all the authority and the weak just have to deal with it. But Jesus wanted to set the stage that his kingdom was going to be something completely different. It was going to be something upside down from any other kingdom that anybody had ever seen. And you will see this theme all the way through the life of Jesus. And because of that, even though he was the son of man, the Lord and king over all that exists, he did not use his authority the way anyone expected. Instead of using his power to make some big showy entrance where he you know, pops up on the scene and heaven splits open and he rides in on some like unicorn celestial being with like a flaming sword and all of that stuff. No, he just walks all by his lonesome to John and gets baptized. He chose to quietly step down into the same muddy water that everyone else was getting into. And he did that because he came to save those broken, sinful people. 
He came to save these broken, sinful people. And to do that, he would have to identify choosing to live and walk among and be like those broken, sinful people that he came to save. And so when Jesus was on earth, he came, even though he was the king of kings, even though he was the Lord of lords, had all authority, deserved all the glory and honor and praise, even though he deserved that, Jesus came to identify himself with the broken, sinful people that he came to save. He came to walk as we walk, live as we live, endure what we endured, only as he did that, he succeeded in all the places where we fail. He would show love in the places where we would tend to lose our temper. He would radiate patience. Um, All the places where we would normally fail and let selfishness show through, he would not do those things. He gave in. Um, He he stuck it out through situations that we would have failed in and given into. He forgave in the situations where we would choose to hold grudges. Um, Jesus came to live the kind of life Uh, our kind of life, but in the most perfect way possible. Our kind of life, but perfected. He came to show us what was possible for humanity. He came to show us what humanity could be and should be, to show us the kind of love and grace and joy and generosity that the human race was capable of showing, and to show us the better way of life that our Creator intended for us to live if we would just stop choosing sin and say yes to the ways of God. And so Jesus, yes, he was the son of God, but he was choosing to walk through the muddy road of, of a broken human life, but without sinning. And it, his, his choice to identify with us doesn't just stop with him getting baptized, because he also goes on um, to endure a long series of temptations. Let's keep going. Now we're in Matthew 4, chapter 1, or ver- Matthew 4, verse 1. It says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I lo- like, did that need to be said? Like, yeah. It's like after running 18 miles, he was tired. Like, yeah, of course he was. Like, anybody's going to be tired after that kind of stuff. 40 days of not eating, which you might think that's impossible. Um, there, I've, read, I've seen stories of people who've done that. I mean, and the way their bodies transformed in like a month, a little over a month, showed that they were really fasting. Water is needed. You can go a lot longer without food than you think. Um, I mean, most of us don't want to go like more than like six hours without food because we, oh, I'm going to die. You know, I'm starving. No, we're not. You know, we can go a long time without food. And so Jesus fasted for 40 days. And after that time, when his body was weak and tired, Satan shows up to tempt him with three tests. He presents Jesus with three temptations. And again, what this is, is Jesus choosing to walk in our shoes. He's choosing to identify with us. He chooses to endure temptations, which is something that we endure every single day. We endure temptations all the time. He came so that he would understand the ache of desire. When I just want something. Do you need it? No, but I want it. Can you survive without it? Yeah, but I want it. Is it the right thing to do? No, but I want it. He came to understand that feeling that we all feel, to understand the enticing desire of temptation. And he was tempted with things like satisfaction, glory, fame, power. What's interesting is Satan was, in a lot of ways, offering him the kind of life that a king deserved. The king deserves to get their way. The king deserves to have their needs met. The king deserves to have power and glory and authority and people fawning all over them. That's kind of what Satan came to offer him. And Jesus says no to it all. 
and he faced all the temptations, and he won. And all the ways, again, that we fail, that we give in, he won. All the things that we tend to drop the ball on, Jesus succeeded. And this is why the author of Hebrews in the New Testament says this, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has in every respect been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That we don't have some spiritual authority in our lives saying, come on, do better, I'm better. You're somebody who doesn't understand what it's like to struggle and be tempted. Jesus, that's what, he walked in our lifestyle so that he would understand how hard it is for us, to how much struggle we go through. And he wanted to understand and relate to us. So when, we have, when we're tempted, when we're struggling, we have a, a high priest, a king who is sympathetic to what's going on in our life, who is compassionate to what's going on in our life because he understands. And one thing that's really cool about these three temptations, and again, you could really break these open and get into it, but one thing that really shows how he came to identify with the people he came to save is that there is a pattern to them, okay? Um, and the pattern is Satan tells Jesus that, hey, Here's something pleasurable that you can have. Um, and Jesus uh, quotes scripture, giving the truth about how, like, no, I, I'm not going to give in to this lie that you're feeding me. And these three temptations of Satan tempting and Jesus quoting scripture and re- pushing him away, they reflect a pattern of Israel's failure in the wilderness in the Old Testament, in the first five books of the Bible, when Israel's spending their 40 years in the deserts, wandering around, constantly failing to be the kind of people God wanted them to be, Jesus spends 40 days in the wilderness, kind of living through the pattern of their failures, but in reverse. It's almost as if in this time, Jesus is reversing the failures. He's showing victory where they had failed. They failed because um, they griped that God wasn't giving them food. Satan says, hey, Jesus, you're really hungry after those years. You're the king of all kings, the God of creation. Nature bows at your command. There's some rocks here that, that, that would have looked like the loaves of bread they baked, little flat rocks, right? And they just turn one of those into bread and eat it. Why would, you're the king of all kings. Why you got a hungry stomach? Just eat it. And Jesus says, no, it's not my time to do that kind of thing. And so where Israel failed, Jesus succeeded. And again, he's showing I'm these people that I'm going to spend my life ministering to. There's so, many, so much brokenness and failure. I'm walking in their shoes, but I'm going to succeed where they had failed. I'm going to identify with the brokenness with the people that he came to save. But again, he's a king. Why would he lower himself to these kinds of things? They're the opposite of what kings and queens do. And you could look at these two stories and almost read it like, maybe Jesus doesn't like want to be king. Like Maybe he's rejecting this authority and this power that God has given him. Um, how many of you have seen the movie Aladdin? How many of you have seen the live action, the newer one? It's pretty good. If you haven't seen it, because you're like, I don't want to watch this again. It's pretty good. They add just enough to make it interesting. It's pretty good. Um, well, if you ever watch Aladdin, which most of you have, there's this moment pretty early in the story where Jasmine, the princess of the sultan, is like, I don't want to be in the palace anymore. I'm tired of being cooped up here. I want to go see what the people are doing. I want to live like one of the people, understand the people. And so she kind of like hops the fence and dresses like a normal person and goes out into the market. And so she wants to walk out and stop, you know, having everybody treat her like she's breakable and treat her like she's frail. And she wants to get away from the fancy palace life and just live like a normal person for a little bit and meet some normal people. And so she puts on a disguise so people won't recognize her, and she goes out, and she wanders the streets, and she wanders into the markets, and she 
kind of, for a moment, is allowed to kind of reject this royal life and do something a little bit normal. But that's not what Jesus is doing. And you could think that because, again, he rejects all the royal stuff all around him. But that's not what he's doing. Instead, Jesus was, again, showing that his kingdom was different. That, that his kingdom wasn't about might makes right, the strongest person with the biggest sword gets to rule. It wasn't about getting as much power and riches and glory as possible. He wasn't trying to just live a life to impress people so they would bow down to him and he'd get to boss everybody around. That's what everybody else is into. Our world still functions that way. Like, that, if you just read any story about anybody who, in our modern world, who has a lot of power and authority over people, um, they run a big business, they got billions of dollars or whatever, it's very rare that they don't have any, like, scandalous news stories about them. So, like, even though we don't have the kings and queens in our world, we still have people grabbing for power, grabbing for money, wanting to be in charge and boss a lot of people around. That's still a very common human thing. But Jesus wasn't about any of that. To him, being king was the opposite. It was about serving and loving and helping. He wasn't rejecting his identity as God's son. He was showing us what it meant to be God's son, what God was like. It was his kingship that kept him from elevating himself and, and instead pushed him to lower himself to identify with the people that he came to save. Because he was God of the universe, he lowered himself out of love and compassion. Because I, by identifying with our brokenness, he became the perfect sacrifice that we needed. His entire life was spent enduring our hardships, walking through our temptations, um, going through the moments that often lead us to our worst choices and our, our biggest regrets. He walked into that and became victorious over those same kinds of moments. So at the end of his life, he would be the perfect representative for us. He could be like, yeah, I've walked their life. I've lived like them. I've stood in their place, walked a mile in their shoes, but I've failed zero times. And so that meant he could walk to, be a, to the altar of sacrifice without blemish, without blame, without sin. And since he didn't have any sin on him when he went to the cross, he was free to carry ours. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says this, For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin because he never committed any, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus being king, it didn't mean climbing a ladder to the top. It meant lowering himself, stooping to lift those who were on the bottom. It's not a very uh, kingly way to live. He didn't live a kingly way, but he didn't die a kingly way either. Um, Jesus' kingdom, again, not like anything else on earth. It's not like our democracy. It's not like a monarchy. It's not the way people tend to run businesses. It's not the way of our world. And that is why, right after being baptized, when he chose to start his ministry by stooping low and identifying with the sinfulness or the sinful, broken people, the Father speaks from heaven saying, This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. This is God the Father saying, You are doing exactly what I want you to do. You have made the exact right choices. You didn't show up on a powerful donkey. Um, again, let me go back to Aladdin. Um, we can use Aladdin this time. As There's a couple scenes at the very beginning where a couple of princes show up, suitors for the princess they wanted to marry her, right? And they come in with like 
you know, these fancy horses that have like tassels all over them, and they're all snide and irritating, but they make a big show walking through the streets, right? And, and that's, again, that's what kings do when they make their entrance. That's what royalty does when it makes its entrance. But instead, Jesus just walked quietly into the dirty water. And this is God kind of saying, you, my son, are doing exactly what you want to do. You are being the right kind of king. It's almost one of those, that's my boy kind of a moment. Because Jesus, king of all kings, lowered himself to raise us out of our sin. So that he could be our perfect savior. And because he went low instead of going high and walked a mile in our shoes... He became our perfect representative because he lived his life identifying with the lowest of the low, the most broken of the broken. He was our perfect sacrifice. And at the very outset of his ministry, he was setting the tone for the course ahead. In the first weeks of his ministry, he was charting a course to the cross, a course to save us. And just like right out of the gate, I just love the pattern that Jesus sets for us um, because it's so different from even the kind of way we're taught to live. Um, you do not understand how many subtle ways we are taught to, you know, puff ourselves up and take our moment and have our authority. And our world says, you're awesome. No one can boss you around. You have all the authority. You do you. You know, you live for you. You, you worry about your happiness and your, it's all about you being in charge of, of your life. And, and Jesus just flips everything on his head and he challenges the way, very way that we live, the very ways that we think. And it's so humbling and it's so awe-inspiring because, again, 2,000 years later, it's still challenging to me. Like, there's still ways where I look at people in the world who are struggling, and there's still that part of my brain that says, loser, I wouldn't do that. Just stop. Why, why can't you be that? Why can't you be a good dad? Why can't you be a good mom? Why can't you spend your money better? Why can't you just stop doing what you're doing? And li- Why can't you be more responsible? I have that voice in my head, and you do too. But instead of that I'm better mentality that plagues all of us, Jesus was the perfect, submissive king that we needed him to be, to lower himself so that we could chart a course that was better. He walked to the cross so that we could walk away from the cross fresh, free, redeemed, and made right with our heavenly father. And this is just the beginning of his journey. This is just him setting the the tone for what was going to come after. And that's why this following year I really... I really think that walking through the life of Jesus day by day, week by week, is going to be a beautiful journey for all of us. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for the choices of Jesus. Um, We're grateful that he came um, not to build himself up, but to be a servant to all. He came not seeking people to serve him, but he came seeking to be a servant. And we're just so grateful for that deep love and the humility that it takes. It's hard. Even for those of us who have been Christians for a while, there are moments where we have trouble humbling ourselves. And Jesus models for us that in his kingdom, humility and service and love and compassion are the most valuable traits. Not your reputation, not feeling good at every moment, not getting your way all the time, not having the most money, the most power, the most authority, but in giving all of that away so that you can serve and help other people. And I just pray that as we walk through this journey for the rest of this year, that we would have the mindset of Jesus to to start looking at our world in a way that is upside down. That every time we start to feel that little bit of pride in our heart, we would be challenged by your spirit saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
what's Jesus doing? How is he modeling a different way forward? If you want to be a citizen of the upside-down kingdom of God, I pray, Father, that, that we would be reminded that um, we need to live in an upside-down kind of way. So thank you again for this chance to be reminded of that. And I have a feeling that as we walk through um, days in the life of Jesus, um, we're going to be reminded of that quite a bit more. And I thank you for that. And I thank you for him being willing to lower himself, even though he had no sin, um, to be in our situations and understand our pain and our struggle and our temptation um, so that he could offer himself for it, so that we could have a better way and a better eternity with you. It's in Jesus' beautiful name that we pray. Amen.